From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, it's Mike Lieberman. Welcome to What's Wrong with Revenue, episode 10. 10 episodes, not bad. We're on our way. Whoever thought we would make it to 10 episodes? I have a lot more planned in the upcoming months. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that was planned for earlier, but got pushed due to the Apple email iOS update news and a special report feature we did. So today on What's Wrong with Revenue, we're going to talk about how to generate revenue from your current customer base. It's a little known and actually less used tactic, but one that we think has a lot of potential. I'm joined by a guest today, Eric Kalis, my traditional co-host, is out and about spreading the good word about how to fix revenue in Houston and Savannah, Georgia. And I'm joined today by Julie Golden, who is the creative director and chief advocacy officer at Square Two. So who better to talk about activating your customers than someone whose job it is to make sure our customers are activated? Julie, welcome to the show. Thanks for stepping in. What do you think of our topic today? I think it's a great topic and I'm super excited to talk about it. Awesome. So a little bit of housekeeping. You can submit questions directly on the Zoom platform. Julie will keep an eye on them. If you're watching us on Facebook, we are streaming live on Facebook. You can also submit questions there. We'll pick them up. You can always submit questions in advance on our website, on the What's Wrong With Revenue page. If you go to the bottom in the footer, the very first link is What's Wrong With Revenue. Pop on over there. You can see all of our past episodes and watch them. You can submit questions and you can subscribe so that when our show is over, you get a copy of the show popped right into your email box, even if you were able to miss the show. So let's get right into it. What's wrong with revenue? You're not taking advantage of your current customers. So what, what does that mean exactly? Well, first of all, when, when uh, companies come to us and they're talking about the need to grow their companies or the need to generate more revenue, one of the very first things we ask them is, well, how active are your customers in sharing your story and how aggressive are you in selling additional products and services to your current customers? Or sometimes we ask, you know, do your current customers know about everything that you provide them? Or some people call it share of wallet. And generally, interestingly enough, the answer is, well, we don't really do a lot with that, or we're not really sure, or we talked about it, but we never really got into it. It's shocking to me generally because let's face it, this is not new news to anybody. It's easier to generate revenue from your customer base than it is to get new customers. And why is that? Well, if your goal when you're trying to get new customers to 
do business with you, you have to get them to know, like, and trust you. You have to get them to feel safe with you. If you're doing a good job with your current customers, they already know, like, and trust you, and they already feel safe with you. So it should be a much easier lift to get them to buy other things from you or to even be an advocate for your business than it is to find people who might not be looking for you, find people who don't know you, get them to know you, get them to like you, get them to trust you, run them through your marketing process, run them through your sales process, get them your contract. I mean, for crying out loud, we all know how hard it is to get customers to buy from us. So we are often counseling our clients to start looking for revenue in their current customer base. Now, Julie, you know, we, we, we get questions submitted in advance to the show and mm-hmm. we have a lot of questions to go through today. Uh, so we will get to them. But I mentioned something in my opening that I think you can probably shed some light on. So I talked about advocacy and I talked about activating clients and customers so they can be advocates. Our watchers, listeners, subscribers, they might not be completely comfortable with that advocacy or advocate terminology. So can you explain to them what we mean when we talk about advocacy? Sure, sure. You know, advocacy doesn't just happen. It happens as a result of you delivering at a very exceptional level for your clients. So at the core of any advocacy program needs to be uh, a focus on clients being absolute raving fans, delivering at a very high level, making them happy, making them satisfied, delivering above and beyond. And then the advocacy on some level just happens because they want to be your advocate because you have done so much in delivering for them. Um, Just today, I was on the phone with a client who is working with us to create some testimonial videos and that it was with joy, right? Because we built a strong relationship with them and they were happy to take a half an hour out of their day, pop a camera in front of themselves and tell them all about their experience with Square Two. So at the beginning always comes this intent to deliver well for your clients, for do to do what's best for them. Then as you come to them with, are you happy? Are you satisfied? What else can we do to make, your, make sure that your experience is the best it can absolutely be? And it's authentic and real. They feel that and they just wanna give back to you. That's a very good description. And I think part of this topic should be about systematizing the advocacy effort, right? Um, We talk a lot about the buyer journey, specifically the cyclonic buyer journey and its different stages. And there is a stage for delivery. If you don't do a good job taking care of your customers, if you can't create a remarkable experience for your customers, just like we talk about creating a remarkable experience for your prospects, Mm-hmm. then your cycle is not going to spin as fast as it could potentially spin, right? Uh, and to your Agreed. point, if you are doing a really good job taking care of your customers, they will happily tell your story to other people just like them. Now, that's not really the activation part of it. That's just doing good work, taking good care of your customers, t- d- delivering beyond expectations, or in some cases, even at expectations, But there is another step, 
which we call activation, which which makes uh, uh, gives the advocacy effort a bit of a more proactive feel to it, right? Mm -hmm. So let's just talk about the two sides of that, right? So if you do a great job with your customers, which I'm sure most of you do, then maybe they'll tell other people about it. But it 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 won't be a system. It's more like if someone asks them, they may tell them about you, right? right. Or you may do such a good job that they want to talk about it. But again, that's on them to, to take that initiative. And we often talk about turning kind of random things like that into systems. So mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about how someone might activate their customers to be advocates? And you, you kind of alluded to something that we are doing with one of our customers, but there are a number of things that people can do to activate their customers. So talk a little bit about that. I'll, I'll add a little bit about that and then we'll get into some questions. And I also want to tie this back into revenue, right? Because how do advocates drive more revenue? We, we need to cover that also. Sure. And we'll get to that in a bit because, you know, obviously if, uh, if your clients are being references for you, so that's one of the things you can move forward and activate for them. You know, you know, you have a list of clients that are happy with your services and happy to advocate for you. You have them on a list of references. And when the time comes to ask for that reference, that is a direct path to revenue as well. Um, you know, to systematize this. So, you know, we've tried just at, at Square 2 we've tried a number of ways of getting feedback from our clients and feeding back to them. And, you know, this is very individual to the company, to the number of clients you need to speak to, to the number of calls you need to make. Um, we've tried automated emails and polls and, and uh, uh, systems like that, that were a little bit on the cooler side. For us in particular, um, the real breakthrough came when we were, taking the, auto, you know, while there's still automation involved, but adding a much more personal touch. And we have a very complex system where, you know, when I meet the clients at the very earliest stage of our engagement, I let them know, this is what I'm here for. I have been tasked with making sure you have a remarkable experience and checking in with you on a systematic basis and making sure that before the horse is out of the barn, that we've addressed any issues that are gonna get in the way with them being advocates for our company. And I check in with them on that regular basis and I let them weigh in on how frequent that, that basis needs to be and I customize a system around them. But I have very, typical systematic questions about what I ask when in the engagement to make sure that I'm guiding the conversation to a place that it needs to be. So that when we're having these conversations about, oh yeah, the, you guys delivered great on this piece. Oh, great. Well, let, let me start explaining to you other places we can take your, your engagement. And those are also potential future revenue streams as well. But there is a system underneath it all in terms of how often I call, how often I reach out, how remarkable I make the emails that, that ask for the time with them, respecting their time, making sure that we get together and talk about their engagement so that you know when we get to key milestones in their engagement, those are great triggers to say, hey, would you be willing to do a review for us? Hey, great to hear that this went well. How about we do that for your clients? There's more revenue. You, you like doing the, the video for us? Let me help you do videos for you, with your clients. So that 
the one-to-one has great value. It all depends on how many clients you have and how much outreach you can do on a one-to-one basis. Right. One-to-one might not work if you have thousands of customers. Exactly. But I think that the takeaway there is that it took us a little while to figure out the advocacy activation strategy, right? We tried all the standard plays, net promoter score, automated surveys, you know, uh, phone calls from the CEO, like emails from the CEO. And, you know, it wasn't until we asked them to customize their own advocacy program, did we really get the kind of traction we're looking for. Now, there's another important element buried in there too. So obviously, Julie talked about uncovering revenue opportunities in those one-on-one advocacy conversations, but those also are opportunities to identify things that maybe didn't go well in the engagement that we could fix, their early warning systems to make sure that the client isn't unhappy for too long. Um, It's good feedback back to the rest of the team. Hey, they really like this. Hey, they thought this could be a little bit better. So there's a continuous improvement element there too around delivery. Um, But there's another uh, revenue-related topic that Julie also talked about, and that is reviews. So I think everyone's pretty familiar with references. You're about to sign a new client and they say, hey, Mike, everything sounds great. Can I talk to some of your customers, right? Of course, no problem. Let let me get you those references. Now, there's a way to, to activate clients to make that process easier also, which we should get to Uh, in a second, because it's worth talking about. But that's the obvious area where where customer commentary is important. So sure, here's three people you can talk to. They they get together, they discuss it. Everything's great. Okay, Mike, thanks. Your references checked out. Let's get going. But before they even ask us, maybe even before they even talk to us, they're looking for feedback on us from our customers online. And that's where the review process is critical. So if you don't think there's reviews about your company online, guess again, go to (laughs) Google, type in your company and add the word reviews next to it. And I'm pretty sure you will find some commentary about your company. It might be on Glassdoor. It might be on Yahoo. It might be on Trustpilot. uh, I'm sorry, Yahoo. It might be on Google. It might be on Trustpilot. It might be on Facebook. There are probably reviews about your company, whether you're aware of it or not. Some people are, are doing that before they even talk to you. If the only thing out there are the negative reviews, you have a problem, okay? Mm-hmm. Some people call this reputation management. You know, I'm not sure it needs to be as complicated as that, but you need to be aware of what reviews are out there and you need to be curating positive reviews. So if you are interested in talking to us, I know how many Google reviews there are. I know how many reviews there are on G2, which is an industry site. I know how many reviews there are on HubSpot, which is another industry site. I'm pretty aware, Facebook as well, I'm pretty aware of all the positive and some not so positive reviews about Square 2 that are out there. The good news is there's it's probably 20 to 1 positive to negative, right? So even the greatest restaurant on the planet is going to have a couple of negative reviews. So It's not as if you should be concerned about a a couple of negative reviews if you have plenty of positive reviews to offset it. And you have to actively nurture those positive reviews. Uh, I ask customers all the time, hey, would you mind writing a review here? We would really appreciate it. Um, Sometimes I I, I give them a little something just for their time because it does take Mm -hmm. time out of their day that is really all about me and not about them. Um, So, you know, I might give them a $10 Starbucks gift card just to say thank you. 
Um, I might help them out on a project that if they need a little extra help from a service perspective, just, just because of their time. I'm not buying their positive review. I'm just saying thank you for the extra effort. I know it took you some time out of your day. Here's how I'm willing to, to, to say thank you. Um, it's a token. Trust me. It's not, no, no one's doing anything for a $5 Starbucks gift card or, <laughs> or, or, or whatever. So um, if they're not happy, they're not going to, they're not going to do it. It has nothing to do with the incentive, but sometimes it's what puts people sure. No problem. Thanks. Yeah. I could use a coffee. You know, I'll take care of it. Um, it has to be an active part of what you do. I'm constantly asking the client services team, Hey, I'm, that's great that they're so happy. Could you ask them to do a review? It has to be part of your system. It has to be part of your process. People are checking those before they even talk to you. Uh, if you don't have a, a, a slew of positive reviews, you might not be getting any calls. You might not be getting those lead uh, conversions on your website because people are actually never even coming to see you mm -hmm. because all they could find were a handful of negative reviews. So activating your customers to write reviews is going to fuel your marketing engine also. Mm -hmm. um, now let's just talk about references quickly and then we'll pop into some questions. So I mentioned references, everyone's familiar with references, but references can really slow down your sales process. So when we talk to clients, one of the things we wanna do is speed up their sales process and shorten their, uh, the time it takes to close a deal from beginning to end. If everyone in your industry is checking references and you're giving them three to four references at the end of the sales process and it takes your uh, prospects two weeks to talk to those references and circle back to you and keep things moving. That's a long time. If you can capture the, that commentary on video and proactively send the, those videos to prospects before they ask for references, we call it a reference reel. And in, in, in our case, we will send prospects a reference reel right before they ask for references. Like, Hey, people typically ask for references at this point in the sales process. Here's a reel of the same people you will talk to if you want to talk to them personally, take a look at it. It might might make things a little move on a little move along a little more smoothly. Um, and fifty percent of the time that we don't end up having to give references, which means we don't have to bother our clients either. So it's not just about making it easy for us. I'm trying to make it easy for my clients too. Like they're happy to be referenceable, but. They have to put time out of their schedule and out of uh, reshuffle their priorities to talk to a prospect of mine. If I can make it easier on them, that's good for everybody. So if I send a video and it has six pro uh, clients talking about what it's like to work with at Square Two, and they're the same people they were going to talk to anyway, half the time, I don't have to bother them. Half the time that the, those two weeks are shortened to two hours and the sales cycle moves along really quickly. So think about activation from a Sales process, uh, sales process perspective also, and uh, it'll probably be helpful as well. Julie, anything you want to add to that? The only thing I would I would add, as I was thinking, you know, it's really important to be aware of and sensitive to the potential timing and triggers for asking for any of these things, right? You know, you're having a conversation with a client and they had a really wonderful experience when their website went live. That's our example. When delivery happened and it happened, to, that's that's the time. Strike when the iron is hot, and like you said, with the reviews. Being sensitive to when in the time frame a client, uh, a, a prospect is likely to ask for those references and getting that review real in front of them beforehand. It's all about timing and knowing what the right triggers are. Great point. Um, let's do some questions. So 
we, we, we touched on this, but we can go into it a little bit uh, in, more, in more detail. What are some, oh, this is from Gary in Philadelphia. What are some ways to ensure we get a good pulse on how happy our customers are over time? So you didn't really talk much about kind of rhythms and frequencies, right? We talked about kind of asking our clients to tell us what they would like, right? But what, what do you think a good rhythm is, especially if you have a longer term relationship with your customers? Right. You know, like, you know, if you're selling them widgets every couple months or, you know, every six months or so, how, how do you decide how much is too much, how much is not enough? How do you figure out that rhythm and frequency? Yeah, I, like, I think it's very dependent on different, on your company and what your relationship is with your clients. Inside of our own company, we have a, a, a level, a bunch of different frequencies that make sense based on how you're engaging, right? When we have clients that we've been with for four years and we're running a nice rhythmic engagement with them, we might only speak quarterly. When I'm working with a client that has a fast paced project that's gonna be over in a couple of weeks or months, we talk every week. And those are the recommendations I make. You know, we, you have a fast paced project, we might wanna check in once a week just to make sure that everything is going smoothly and, and uh, leading up to the, the, uh, your, the most desirable end result. And then there are some clients that just email me back. Everything's still great. Love the team. Everything's wonderful. I'll let you know if anything changes. So it's all about you know the relationship with the client and how frequently you need to get a pulse on what's going on. And you know if you're selling widgets online, you know there's a lot to be said. You know some a lot of people use the Net Promoter Score, but just collecting the score is not enough. And I'm sure most people know this if they're using it. But there's the follow-up question and the action that is follows a negative experience. So if somebody's have given you a five or a four, you need to find out what generated that pro that problem and go back and um, and solve that problem for that client. Yeah, those are all really good points. And I think uh, your customers, your customers, not, well, I guess you could call it buyer journey, but not the prospect version of the buyer journey, but the customer version of their buyer journey. So like, what is the optimal experience you want them to have over the course of that entire year, right? So let's mm -hmm. say they're buying something from you three times a year how do you then sequence the follow-up to match that buying sequence, right? Maybe they're buying something big from you once a year. Maybe they're buying software and then you're installing that. So now look at the journey during implementation and post-implementation and training and post-training and ongoing usage of your product. How do you uh, create the touches that allow you to check in on them and make sure that everything is going well? How do you when do you ask for the online review? When do you ask if they're referenceable? When do you ask them if they need additional help? Like mapping that customer journey is just mm -hmm. as important as mapping the prospect journey. And honestly, we don't get involved a ton in mapping the customer journey because most people that come to us are looking for new customers, but that exercise is probably just as important as the prospect journey is understanding that customer journey and then sequencing in these touches exactly where they need to be. Yeah. And this is a good lead into the next question, which is, can you give us some examples of ongoing customer marketing campaigns that are not promotional in nature? 
this was from, um, where is it? This was from Josh in uh, New York. So Josh wants to know, I guess what he's saying is it's pretty, we all get these from brands that we are doing business with. Hey, take 10% off today, Veterans Day sale or black, I'm getting a lot of black, pre-Black Friday sale <laughs> emails now. So I think what Josh is asking is how do we do non-promotional customer marketing, right? Which is really the right question because I'm not a fan of these take a, take yeah. 10% off. They, I mm -hmm. mean, it's, it's almost like everyone now waits to get the promotional emails to put your order in because you know they're coming, which means you're not really incenting the right behaviors. You're really just giving away 10% of your revenue to someone that was going to buy from you anyway. Mm -hmm. You didn't really align your promotions with a new customer, someone that you wouldn't have gotten without the promotion, someone who you're going to give a little bit extra so they can try your service. You're giving discounts off to customers who are probably going to buy from you anyway. So I think this is the right question. And I want to give you a very practical example because this is one of my favorite kind of customer marketing stories. So we have a client, he's, <clears throat> he's a long-term client, I think over three years, and he's in the farm equipment distribution business, right? Not, not to name any names. Um, and these are fairly big companies. These, the, the, when you distribute uh, our, uh, uh, agriculture equipment, some of these, these uh, pieces of equipment can be 50, 100, $200,000. So some of these businesses do hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue every year. And this, this company is one of them. And they are a rep for a, like you, you would know who it is, the largest, one of the largest uh, US-based <laughs> agricultural equipment manufacturers. They have, there's, there's, they have a very green logo. I don't think I need to say anything <laughs> else. And he, he was talking to us when we first started working with him about uh, people coming into the store and they have, they have retail stores and buying equipment and then never hearing from them again, never coming back to the store, ne never hearing from them again. So we designed some very specific customer marketing campaigns to bring them back into the store for specifically uh, service, right? So service on this equipment is a revenue stream for these companies that is underutilized and, and under, um, they, they don't take enough advantage of the service side of that business. So we created a series of emails that went out to people who bought equipment to remind them of the service milestones, just like your car. The car companies aren't even great at this anymore. I feel like mm -hmm. they, they used to be better at this. I guess the cars now run longer and need less service. But um, so we, we sent emails out to remind people of service requirements. We also, they had a remarkable aspect to their business where they would literally go to your farm or your house pick up your equipment, bring it in, service it, and bring it back to you, right? Because honestly, sometimes this equipment is huge. And some of the people who are buying this equipment were just homeowners who had large properties and needed big equipment to take care of, you know, acres of, of grass and, 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 and yard, but they might not have a vehicle that would allow them to transport their tractor per se back into the building for service. So they would come pick it up, service it and bring it back. It was a really nice service. So we were, we were promoting that. And we also were promoting add-on equipment. So, you know, hey, you bought this product. Did you know it also has this, this attachment or this ride-along or this whatever? Um, and shockingly, not shockingly, we, were, we weren't shocked, but the client was end up very, very surprised at how their service business grew, how their add-on product sales business grew, 
how they're, how people were coming back into the store to see new products that were getting rolled out that were directly related to the product that they built, the, the tractor or the piece of equipment that they bought. So it worked beautifully. And, and, and when you think about it, people just have to be reminded, you know, we're all pretty busy. We're all getting inundated with emails. But if I bought this product, I like the product. I trust the company that manufactures the product. Why wouldn't I want to buy additional products and take advantage of additional services that go along with it? So yeah. I, I think this, to answer Josh's question very specifically, this line of thinking is where you want to be. Not take discounts off future purchases, but what did someone buy? What else could they buy related to that product? Who, who is this person? Like, wh what is their demographic and psychographic profile? So there may not be specific add-on services for the exact product, but there may be other products that people like them are buying. And I think this is another really good example of, of customer marketing that isn't promotional. And um, the outdoor furniture companies actually do a really good job at this. So, you know, if, if you bought outdoor furniture as an example, well, if you're showing me a story and some video of someone who bought the same product that I did, but they also bought the fire pit or they also bought the coffee table or they also bought the mosquito repellent blankets or they also bought the heat lamps or they, you know, now I'm thinking like, oh, I could, I would like a heat lamp. Like it's getting kind of colder. Look how comfortable they look. Like they're sitting mm -hmm. in my furniture on their deck. It looks a lot like my deck, but they have a heater and I don't. I could get a lot more use out of my outdoor furniture. If I had a heater, I didn't know this company sold heaters. I'm interested in that. So again, it's, it's making me feel like I might be missing something. It's showing me people like me who have purchased other products that go along with products that I purchased. These are excellent ways to show and tell what other options might be available to customers and get them to feel comfortable making the purchase. Anything you want to add, Julie? Yeah, yeah. You know what's powerful about all of that is that at the core of it, it is not about just about selling more, because of course it is about selling more, but it's about making sure that you are answering the pains of your customer, right? Your intent is to help them solve their problems with your product and services. I think that if your intent is always positive there in terms of helping your customers, you're going to yield better results. Mike, there actually is another question in the Q&A that I'd love to tackle if you're, you're up That'd for it. That'd be great. That'd be great. This is um, from Nicholas and it says, uh, do you recommend an interview format for gathering video reference material or is it better to leave it up to the customer to decide what they have to share that might be of value to the uh, prospect? So interview format. Um, so we do a bunch of these uh, types of videos uh, where for ourselves, for our clients, um, it has gotten eons better easier to do video with your prospects remotely, as well as in person. Um, cameras on phones have never been better. The toolkits are out there that you could send to your prospect, simple ring light with a mount on it for their iPhone, and you're off to the races. And the quality is far superior than it was several years ago. So you can interview your, your uh, prospect or your customer with that phone, you sit on, on Zoom and interview them off camera. I do prefer the focus to be on the speaker and not on the interviewer. Um, 
And we just ask them a series of questions, stay on brand. It's always incredibly important to remember who you are and who they are and ask those questions and let them answer and then edit that down into a you know, bite-sized chunks for social and for your website as well. Um, you know, uh, it goes, you know, and again, it goes, you know, to answer the, the whether or not you leave it to the prospect or the customer, there is a lot to be said for um, knowing your customer and knowing what their background is and making sure that the questions suit their answers. So there is a, a real fine art to interviewing and making sure you're getting the most out of that conversation based on who they are and what they've got to talk comfortably about. It's a really good question. And uh, on the Square Two blog, there are a couple of video related blog articles that go into this in more detail. Um, I'll add that I, I think the question and answer format is really good for people who might be a little shy to do video. And, and specifically, I, I mentioned that because what we typically do with clients is ask them the same question three or four times. Remember, we're, we're just collecting video. Now, that's a little different than what Julie and I are doing here, where we're doing a single stream, you know, one hour uh, live cast show where there's no editing really that goes into this. But when you're doing video for customers to, to create testimonials, like there's going to be some editing that gets done post-production. So, you know, you can ask them the question three or four times. The first answer might not be great. They might, you know, feel like their answer was bad. They might stutter. They might, you know, like blank out. You know, but the second time ask, asking them the same question, they'll probably do a little bit better. Again, they might not love the answer, but they'll do a little better. By the time you're, you're, they're answering it the third time or the fourth time or the fifth time, they're going to be a lot more comfortable. And across all those answers, I guarantee a good editor will be able to find a really nice set of answers to the question that you ask them, right? Mm -hmm. So you might say, uh, talk about, you know, A, B, or C, right? And, and they talk about it. And maybe that first pass wasn't great. Ask them to do it again. Their second pass will be better. Ask them to do it a third time. Their third pass will be better. And then the editor will have a lot of footage to choose from to piece together the perfect answer that not only satisfies what you're going for, but makes the person on the, who's doing the video look really good too. You know, we call it overshooting. You basically want to get as much footage as you possibly can and then leave it to the editor to piece it together to, to create a really nice piece. Remember, like a, a customer testimonial video might be three minutes, uh, maybe not even that long, two, two, 220, right? <laughs> you know, if you had 15 minutes of footage, an editor is going to get that down to 220 and it's going to be tight and it's going to look really good. And you're not going to even, no one's going to even know that it took you 20 minutes to get two minutes worth of, you know, a really good video. And that, that works for almost all your video projects, like overshoot, collect as much as you possibly can, and then really walk through it with the editor to be like, Hey, I like this. I don't like that. I like this. I don't like that. How do you think this would look good here? And if you have a good editor, they should be able to piece it together really nicely. And to Julie's point, you know, we collect the footage remotely. It gets beamed to our editor immediately. The editor picks it up works their magic and we can get a first cut in a couple of days because of the toolkits that are available to us for the shooting and for them for the editing and the way we share files 
Uh, it's a lot different than it used to be. You know, we, we, you don't have to send a big crew out to get the video for $5,000 for a half day and, you know, another $5,000 to do editing. Like it really can be done in a nice tight package uh, for videos that are, you know, in the hundreds of dollars, not the thousands of dollars. And there is just one last thing. There's something to be said for a good interviewer. And I'm not saying you need to be Oprah, but you need to be able to put your uh, client at ease. A little humor goes a long way to loosening people up and getting their real personality to bubble up. That's when videos start to really have that emotional pull. You know, not to say that every shot doesn't have its Dracula moment where it sucks the life out of the video, but you know, that's where the editor comes in. Yeah. And you know, if we're, we're making a video here, right? So it has to be entertaining to some extent. It has to be educational to some extent. There has to be some hook to it to some extent. So, you know, if you're going to do questions and answers, just make sure the questions are compelling. Make sure the answers are thought provoking. Make sure there's maybe some light banter back and forth that makes the commentary interesting and something that people want to watch. And if you're going to do something else, make sure it's, you know, make sure it's going to stand out, right? Like the same comments we make about clients and their businesses, it has to be remarkable. Your content has to be remarkable too. If you're doing the same thing everyone else is doing, it's probably not going to be great. But if you're doing something that no one else is doing, I guarantee you more people are going to watch it. It's going to get better traction and it's going to work better in your marketing sales and customer service processes as well. But that's a really good question. Julie, do you have anything else? No, that's the only question I have right now. All right, good. So uh, here's another question. Uh, okay, so we talked about, I mean, this question is about incenting the customer, which we did talk about a little bit. Maybe we don't need to go into that anymore. And then there's also a question here about online reviews, which we also talked about. Here, here we go. This is a good one. Besides email, what other tactics should we consider when it comes to marketing to our customers? So this is from Larry in Indiana. You understand what he's asking? Like mm -hmm. we, we've been talking a lot about email and email nurtures and email follow-ups to products and services purchased, but what other channels might someone consider in terms of getting this story out to, out to customers? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We had a conversation just today. We were talking about a client that has a strong base and um, uh, their customers, their, their clients live inside a portal, right? So maybe this isn't the most logical place to think of communicating to your clients, but where do you touch your clients the most? When is the, is the connection there? And, you know, we're, we were sort of bantering around, is, is there an opportunity to uh, give very contextual offers to our clients inside that portal where they're coming to every day? Oh, you're doing this. Have you thought about this? Um, you know, definitely not email, definitely not your typical marketing vehicle, but it's a place where you interact with your customers. How can we touch them in a remarkable way there as well? Um, yeah, no, that's an excellent idea. I mean, a lot more clients have these portals, right? A lot more, uh, especially B2B clients are engaging in e-commerce. So you're creating an account, you're, you're logging in, you're repurchasing those are excellent opportunities to market to your current customers. I can give you a couple more. Um, depending on who your customers are, you might want to consider text messaging. I am getting, <laughs> and not in a good way, a lot more text messages from, from spammers. But I will also tell you that I enjoy getting text messages from people that I'm doing business with. It, it, it is uh, 
very easy way to reply to them. And it, it gets my attention. I'm not sifting through emails to, to see what they're talking to me about. So, you know, if your customer base is not like desktop bound, then you might want to consider uh, texting, right? If they're out and about, if they're on the shop floor, if they're traveling a lot, uh, text might, might be a good way to get in front of them. Uh, I'll give you another one, uh, social media. <laughs> you know, if you're, if your clients are on social, then you might want to try to reach out to them on social. Uh, you know, it could be by creating a community in which they're involved in. You could create a, 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 a group on LinkedIn. You could create a community on Facebook, a group on Facebook. Um, make sure you're not, make sure it's not over-promotional, but there are plenty of opportunities to share stories on social that would drive people back to your website, drive people back to their reps uh, and have them um, and, and have an opportunity to drive additional revenue through those specific tactics. And I'll leave you with one other tactic. It's not really a marketing tactic, but it is an operational tactic and that's your customer service reps. So, you know, if I'm calling in to customer service, that's an excellent time for them to say, hey, did you know we also do this? And that just rarely happens. I do get asked to, to, to do a survey a lot. And unfortunately, I don't really hang on to do the surveys. But those customer service reps never really think to offer me other products and services that are directly related to what I might be asking about or the products or service that I, services that I bought. I know they have access to my record. They know what I bought. They know how long ago I bought it. Uh, they never really say like, oh, it's been a while since you purchased this. You know, would you be interested in a new one? Would you be interested in something that goes with it? I think that's an excellent opportunity to drive revenue with customers. Again, if they had a good experience and they're happy, I would think they would at least be open to listening to the, the customer service reps, you know, pitch basically and provide feedback and, and maybe even buy something. So I think there's a bunch of good opportunities there to market to customers that don't involve email. Agreed. Okay, I got another question here. This is from Donna in Wisconsin. I'm the marketing director at a manufacturing company and I've wanted to do customer marketing for some time, but my, v keeps my VP keeps telling me to focus on new customers. <laughs> How do I go about getting his support to try something targeted to current customers? Got an answer for Donna, Julie? So, you know, as my, as my colleague often tells me, the, the proof is in the pudding, right? You want to show some results and start getting some wins on the table, even if they're small ones, to show the great potential. Because if you can focus on a test group of current clients and get a return, you can extrapolate the potential uh, win there across your entire client base. You got to put the numbers, in, especially in front of a VP, you got to put the numbers in front of them and show them the potential. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. The other thing I might suggest, Donna, is consider a pilot, consider a test project, right? So I get it, Mr. VP, you want me focusing on new customers? No problem. I'm not getting distracted at all, but I would like to run this small pilot over here. I would like to take a small number of customers and see if I can generate some revenue from them. So uh, I'm not going to bother the masses. I just want to see maybe like 10, 20, maybe a hundred, depending on how many customers you have. 
let me see with, with no extra budget and no extra resources, let me see if I can generate some revenue from them and prove to you that this is going to work. If I can do that, would you be open to considering a broader customer marketing program to drive additional revenue? Anyone that says no to that, Donna, I'd consider looking for another job because there's really no risk associated with that. You're, you know, it's not broad brush. It's very focused, very targeted. You'll get good feedback. It's a decent customer sample. It should be a decent customer sample. And if you can get it to work, anybody in their right mind should give you the authority to go and do something, do something larger. You also might want to set some expectations around performance. You know, well, here's what I'm expecting. If you're going to let me talk to hundred customers, I would expect five of them to buy something. I would expect five of them to spend a thousand dollars. So if I can generate $5,000 this month in extra revenue from only a hundred customers, would you be open to letting me do something broader uh, to the broader customer base? Again, it's so, it makes so much sense. It's so metric driven. It's so reasonable that if anyone says no to that, get your resume together and send it to us at square two, because you sound like you know what you're doing and uh, anyone should say yes to a reasonable plan of attack like that. All right, good. So here's another question. This is from Mark in California. What's the right mix of new customer versus current customer marketing, right? So this is a really good question. If generally most companies are 100% new customer and 0% customer marketing, maybe the progressive companies are 90-10 or 85-15, what do you think the right balance should be, Julie? How, how would someone be managing their budget or their time or their resources to make sure that there's a proper balance between new customer and current customer marketing? Well, I'll tell you, Mike, I think I'd like to run a pilot and see what my return rate might be. All kidding aside, I do think there's a lot to be said for the, the lack of friction in dealing with um, with your current client base. Like you said at the very beginning, they already know, like, and trust you. And there's a great, and you know them, you know them, you know where their opportunities are. Any good uh, uh, client facing person is going to know where the opportunities are. And I do think there's a lot to be said, and maybe we could get back to this later, but there's a lot to be said for training your client facing, customer facing team, like those call reps or your high level account managers like we have here to talk to our to their clients and always be ready to help them drive their revenue by driving our revenue, by doing more work. Because at the end of the day, you know them better than you know anybody out there, blind prospects. So you can come to the table with some really innovative and creative ideas to help them in their business. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, before I answer the question, I wanna talk a little bit about this idea of, um, personalizing the customer marketing, right? You just said it, and we didn't really talk about this. You just said that our viewers, they know their customers, right? And they do. They know a lot of demographic information about them. They know a lot of psychographic information about them. They know a lot of purchase history. They may even know what competitors they've come from. They know role. They know, obviously they know industry. They know a lot about what they do. And I think really good customer marketing is really personalized, almost one-to-one. -one. And when you do know enough about your customers, you can bucket them. So you're talking to all the 
CFOs, as an example, or all the procurement managers, or all the COOs, or all the uh, director of operations, or factory floor managers, or whatever it is you're selling, you can bucket those titles together, you can bucket the industries together, you know what products they purchased from you, so you generally know what challenges they were facing when they purchased those products, and your marketing can be literally one-to-one, even though it's not one-to-one, it's going to be one to some number, right? Uh, It can be highly personalized. And I think that's what most customers are expecting from companies that they already do business with. You know, like, I know you're in this industry. I know you're in this role. I know you have this problem. Here are some other ways you can think about fixing it besides the way we're currently helping you fix it. A lot of companies that sell products also offer services. A lot of companies that offer services also sell products. So by by really honing in on those very narrow niches inside your customer base, you can deliver a very personalized message that is going to perform very well. Now, to answer the question, I, I would look at it like this. So it's November and a lot of companies are now starting to plan 2022. And what typically happens in most of my experiences have been is the powers that be sit down and say, okay, we're going to finish the year for sake of argument at $10 million at $20 million, wherever we're going to finish the year. And then they start to think about what they want to do next year. And in most cases, those goals are fairly arbitrary. And when I say arbitrary, I mean like they'll look at each other, and say like, well, do you think we can do 20% next year? Sure, we did 20% this year, we can do 20% next year. Or it worse, they say, well, we did 20% this year, let's do 30% next year, right? Okay, that's reasonable. I mean, we did 20 this year, we should be able to do 30 next year, right? And there's really no science or logic behind those numbers. And you know who gets stuck with those numbers? Sales and marketing and customer service get stuck with those numbers. So, you know, What I would do in terms of mix of new customers versus current customers, I would say, okay, well, they're going to ask me to do 30% 30 more this year. How am I going to do that, right? I'm going to look at at what what percentage of that revenue is reoccurring. And it's generally a lot less than people think, right? So, okay, so let's say I'm going to get 10% in reoccurring revenue. I now have to generate 20% in new, Okay. Well, how many leads is that, right? How many sales opportunities is that? If my average revenue per new customer is X, I got to generate a lot of leads to do 20% more. Maybe I can supplement that 20% with new revenue from current customers. So now I'm going to look at my equation and say, how much revenue can I get from current customers? Can I get 10% from current customers? I think I can because we haven't done anything there before. So if I can get 10% from current customers, now I only need 10% new. So I got 10% reoccurring. I got 10% from current customers and I got 10% from new. So in that situation, I may do a 50-50 new customer mm-hmm. and current customer. If I don't think I can get 10% from current customers, if I only think I can get five, well, then I'm going to need 15 and five. So now I'm not going to do 50-50. I don't know what that split is. I'm going to do 75-25, I think is mm-hmm. right, right? I'm going to do 75% new. current. And that's how I would look at it. And then I would go back and build my programs 
to deliver on those specific objectives? What kind of customer marketing do I need to do to get 5% revenue for my current customer base? Okay. And that includes attrition, by the way. Nobody mm-hmm. keeps 100% of their customers 100% of the time. So if you're losing revenue, you got to make it up. So your 30% might actually be 35% or 40%. This is what a lot of people miss when they do this planning exercise. But the marketing, the sales and customer service people, you got to figure this out properly because you're, they're going to be looking at you to deliver that number. So, you know, if it's 75%, 25%, that makes sense. Make sure your budgets are now aligned properly and make sure you go back to leadership and say, hey, you want to do 30%? This is the money I need to generate this kind of return. I'm going to do 75% of the new with current with new customers. I'm going to do 25% of the new with current customers. I need money to fund those two programs with that allocation. So that's what I would do. It's a little more scientific, but I I like its connection to the goals that people are going to be giving you over the next couple of months. And I think if you do that, you have a really smart answer to them when they also are doing budgeting and when they're setting those goals. Like, hey, you didn't ask me if we could do 30%, which by the way is 40% because of what we're losing here. Um, You didn't ask me, you just told me that's what you wanted to do. So I'm coming to you now and saying like, okay, we can do that, but here's what I need to do that. They should be supporting you in that way. And if they're not, I think you got to have a hard conversation about whether you can actually do 30% as a company. And maybe that, that objective should be a little more reasonable or maybe reasonable is not the right word, but it should match your budget, right? You know, if you have lofty growth goals, like we said last week, if you have lost lofty growth goals, you need a very lofty investment to match that. If you have modest growth goals, you can get away with a more modest investment. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I got one more question here and then we'll see if we can wrap up with some housekeeping and uh, some, some news about next week. Um, this question is from uh, Jonathan in Seattle. I love our, our Northwest listeners. Mm-hmm. How do we get customer service involved in the customer marketing initiative? So this is a really good question. And we did talk about it a little bit, but we really just talked about telling them what to do. We really didn't talk about getting them involved. So Julie, what do you think? How would you go about getting your customer service reps engaged in a conversation about selling more services, activating customers for advocacy. How do you get these service reps involved in that? I think it starts with a fair bit of training and making sure that everybody across the spectrum from sales to marketing to customer service, we're all on the same page together. If you're doing the math like you just did a few moments ago and everybody knows what their goals are and what they're driving to and the communication with that team is sound, they should know what they're shooting for. And I do think, I think those customer service people are probably the biggest untapped potential in a lot of organizations organizations because they have the one-to-one relationship with these customers and they know what their pains are and they know how to speak directly to them and find the opportunities for additional uh, investment. And, uh, you know, you started to say before, you know, when, when you're doing marketing to new clients, you're developing personas based on some generalized information that you know about the role and the demographics and the psychographics of all of the procurement people out there in the world and all of the floor managers. But when you are dealing as a 
customer service person, you are dealing with the person now. And you know one-to-one what their needs are, and they should be driving that revenue in order to help that client meet their goals and help them, that customer service person, hit their target. There's nothing wrong with giving targets to uh, internal staff to meet the revenue goals of the company. Agreed. And there are a lot of good ways to get customer service involved. Um, Number one, you can incent them, right? You can Mm -hmm. incent them for a good customer survey results, whether it's net promoter or or customer satisfaction. They can be incented for reviews, positive reviews. They can be incented for that. And they can be incented for a cross-sell upsell. I don't think it would be horrible to incent those people. Maybe, you know, if you're worried about them, you know, doing high pressure sales tactics, then incent the entire team, right? You know, give customer service, like we just said, if I have to give them 25% of my revenue target and set the entire team on a monthly basis with a revenue number and connect them to the revenue team, marketing sales and customer service, and let them contribute their 25% uh, and incent them, pay them to, to do so, right? I'm not suggesting just incent them with a comp plan without arming them with the right tools, train them, give them the right tools, the right assets, the right stories, the right dialogues and scripts so that they, they come off as authentic and they're not just simply pitching products and services. Uh, you know, give them the right videos they need to tell that story that I uh, articulated about the add-on services to the outdoor furniture company and give them the, the invitations to invite people to come back into the store. Like we talked about with the uh, farm equipment uh, distributor uh, company, arm them with the right assets and then incent them properly. And I think you'll you'll find they are quite amenable to wanting to be part of the team. I think everyone enjoys when they are uh, all pulling in the right direction, all rowing in the right direction with the boat. And if all three of these, these departments, marketing, sales, and customer service are all driving to that revenue goal, all chipping in and contributing their piece of it, you get a lot of one plus one equals three. Um, and there are a lot of really good ways to, to get them involved. Uh, you can also uh, get them involved in terms of, well, what assets do we need for you to do a better job? I was uh, right. I think I was writing a blog article. And I was talking about how a lot of customer service reps end up ans- answering the same question over and over again. Give them a video that, mm-hmm. that not only answers the question, but shows the answer to the question. Show instead of tell is big. Um, hey, a lot of our uh, prospect, a lot of our customers are answering this question. Let me shoot you a quick video, right? A lot of people are wondering, how do I get this to work? How do I install this? How do I uh, make this work better? Uh, I, I don't understand the directions. You know, I'm confused. No problem. Here's a video. I'm going to send it over to you right now. I'm going to text it to you. So it'll be on your phone in a second about how to uh, get over this hurdle that you're, you're facing. Oh, wow. That'd be great. Thank you. That's perfect. Oh, I'm going to stay on the phone with you while you call up the video. So you don't have any additional questions. Oh, great. Hold on. Okay. I got it. Oh yeah. This is really clear. Thank you so much. No problem at all. I'm glad we were able to help. Uh, would you mind writing us a review? Oh yeah. I'd love to write your review. Great. Like those motions, those assets can create that amazing experience at the back end of the process, at the back end of the customer journey. Like we talked about at the very beginning of the show, and those customer service reps are going to be more engaged and more involved when they have the right tools. I don't think this is going to be as big a deal as you think it might be. If you go at it from a team perspective, 
what we're trying to accomplish as, a, as an entire triumvirate here and give them the tools, ask them what tools they need, arm them with those tools, just like marketing does with sales. Sales guys, what videos do you need to tell a better story? What assets do you need to close people more frequently? How can we shorten the sales cycle? Ask the customer service reps the same questions and you'll get answers that will allow you to create really great experiences on the back end too. Yeah. Julie, anything you want to add? Last thing I'll throw out there, not to be too much of a marketer about this, but you know, there's two things you said there. There's in incent and intent, right? Set the right incentive to make them want to you know, push hard for the company and be part of the team and make sure that the right intention is there in terms of keeping those clients happy. I think it's a win-win. It's a awesome. Julie, thanks so much for stepping in and joining us as co-host. You did a great job. Come back Bye. anytime. Happy to have you. Uh, so a brief housekeeping note. So next week's show is not going to be a live cast. We're going to pre-record it due to some travel and personal commitments. We're going to pre-record it, but we will release it at four o'clock on Wednesday. So if you're used to spending your four o'clock Eastern times Wednesday with us, which I know a lot of you are, you'll still be able to get the show. We will email it to you directly. You could also pick it up on our website or on our YouTube channel. We will basically release it at four o'clock next Wednesday. So for a lot of you, it'll probably seem like a live show. If you have any questions, and I'll go over the topic with you real quickly. If you have any questions for that show, you can still submit them on our website. What's wrong, what's wrong with revenue page? There's a link in the footer. You can submit a question and we will answer them. The topic for next week's show is about prioritization. And what I mean by that is a lot of companies don't know what to work on first, second or third. And in a lot of cases, that work is out of order. And they may be tackling really big projects, which are important, but there are smaller things that can produce better results. So we'll talk all about how to prioritize work, both from a marketing, sales, and customer service perspective. So if you have any issues that you're going through related to prioritization, or you have any questions, go to that page on our website, What's Wrong With Revenue, in the footer at the bottom. There's a submit your question uh, button right on that page, and we'll answer those questions, even though we're going to do a pre-recorded show. Thank you so much for joining us. Shortly, you can get this show on YouTube. You can get it on all the podcast platforms near you. Any of your favorite podcast platforms, What's Wrong With Revenue is there. And it's also posted talking about all day. Go there, pick it up. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks again, Julie, for stepping in and being my co-host. And thanks to everyone. We will talk to you next week. Have a good afternoon and evening. Thanks a lot. Night. Nice.